You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, today we are going to continue on. Um, Yesterday we started on defense with the interior offensive line, and so today we're going to be looking at the Green Bay Packers edge rushers. Again, the object of this is to um, familiarize ourselves or re-familiarize ourselves with the players. It's not to debate where somebody actually is going to line up. So, I don't care. With that, we are looking at uh, Preston Smith, Lucas Van Ness, Justin Hollins, Ladarius Hamilton, Keyshawn Banks, Rashawn Gary, Kingsley Anigbare, Jonathan Garvin, Brenton Cox, and Kenneth Odumegwu. You don't like the order I read them in? Also don't care. But, uh, why don't we just get started? I'm going to ramble on about some other stuff. Last time I did that, I got a little too ranty episode was too long let's start with mr ray sean gary don't like how i said it don't care i don't care do you understand sorry i'm tired something i don't know so mr Rashawn gary 6'5, 277 out of michigan drafted him in 2019 first round pick 12 so there's a couple things Rashawn gary was always very contentious the anti-front office crowd loved the pick because they hated the pick And so every opportunity they get to make it seem like our front office is stupid, which I really just wish they didn't exist in this fan base, go terrorize another fan base. What a freaking miserable existence you have. Why do you have to make us all suffer? I don't understand that. Pissy freaking people, I swear. Anyways, they were convinced it was a terrible pick, so they started going na-na-na-na-na before the guy even took the field because... Apparently, everybody's too dumb to realize that you should wait until you're actually right first before you brag about being right. So he got picked up in 2019. Unfortunately, that was the same year we got Zadarius and Preston. So he didn't get a lot of opportunities. He played 256 snaps. For reference, uh, his peak was 722. Of that 256, he rushed the passer 152 times. Now, the grades weren't great, and everybody was upset about the stats because the stats were three sacks. And despite the fact that that might not actually be terrible considering his usage, I don't know, didn't look it up, don't care to, all anybody cares about is raw data. And so they saw a rookie, and they saw Brian Burns, and they saw Rashawn get three sacks, and it was like, this piece of crap, whatever. And so, yeah, it kind of sucks. He didn't do exactly what you'd hoped he would, even though it's understandable. And a 58, or excuse me, a 55.8 PFF grade is not super exciting. However, I remain relatively optimistic because he had 16 pressures on 152 attempts. That's not earth-shattering, but it's above 10%. It's a decent start. Year two, he starts to get a little bit more opportunities. Not quite as full-time, I think, as we had all hoped, but about doubled his snaps. And his grade improved. Again, nothing elite, but he went from a 55 to a 68. So he went from like subpar to good. But this time, he had 46 pressures on 349 attempts and nine sacks. It was at this moment, all the Rashawn Gary haters, despite the fact that they had a little bit of an argument left, they pretty much all just shut up and disappeared. And again, despite the grade not being necessarily what you'd hope for, and his pass rush grade was just a 66, the production was actually quite good. 
he had a pressure rate of 13%. That's extremely high. And again, remember, PFF, a lot of their grading, my estimation of it anyways, or at least the way I've been able to figure it, it's about consistency. So he really was actually a pretty high-impact player, but not very consistently. And so he ended up with a, I mean, again, it wasn't a bad grade. It was above average pass rushing grade and about a good overall grade. But it was nothing necessarily earth-shattering. Okay, 2021, he officially is that dude, right? He is, he is deemed our number one pass rusher. And what happens? He went from a 55 to a 68 to a 90 as far as his overall grade. His pass rush grade went from a 59 to a 66 to a 90. His run defense grade, 66, 58, 70. He had 87 pressures on 481 attempts. That is 18%. I've talked about this in the past. That is pretty much unheard of. I went through all Green Bay Packers history as far back as PFF goes, and I believe this is maybe the highest. Maybe Zadarius was a little higher, but I don't think so. Clay never touched this. He never had an 18% pass rush rate, ever. Julius Peppers never did when he was here. Whatever pass rushers you are enamored with, they didn't do it. So this is either the number one or number two pass rush experience in the entire time that Aaron Rodgers has been the quarterback here. And again, the 12 sacks on top of it, which is, a, I believe, relatively low sack rate considering the amount of pressures, which I don't deem to be a bad thing. I deem to be a good thing. I think sacks are somewhat flimsy. And when you just factor in general regression to the mean, it means that if you get this version of Rashawn Gary regularly, you're going to regularly get more than 12 sacks. Anyways, last year, unfortunately, he ends up getting injured. But prior to him getting injured about halfway through the season, he had an 83 overall grade, an 83 pass rush grade. He had 38 pressures on 204 attempts. That is 18.6%. We're pushing 19. Yes, I said 19. I don't know why. So good I double teed it. 19%. So he was on track to being even better than he was last year when he was already maybe the best pass rusher we've seen in the last 15 years. I don't know that it would be that crazy to say probably since Reggie White. Because, I mean, realistically, who are we talking about? KGB? I don't know who it would be. Campman? I doubt it. I think KGB had some pretty stupid numbers at one point, but, you know, I I would be stunned if he had a 19% pressure rate. Anyways. So that's what he was off to. And he had about, and he had about, he had exactly six sacks. And so again, about halfway through the season, he was on pace for roughly 12. The guy is an absolute freak. And although he probably isn't the run defender that you'll find from some of the other premier edge rushers, and by some, I mean some, not most, but guys like Nick Bosa, Max Crosby, you know, uh, Von Miller, some of these guys are legit edge rushers. Miles Garrett was not good at it. Micah, eh, Micah was okay. Brandon Graham, Hassan Reddick, whatever. Um, It might be most, depending on if you're talking just anything in the 70s or if you mean actually really good at it, like 80s. We haven't gotten what we fully want from Rashawn in that department. Let me be the absolute first person to raise my hand and say I don't give a crap. He's got the potential to do it. He's got the frame to do it, the build to do it, and all that stuff. I don't want to touch a single thing. If we try to tweak it to see if we can get the run defense better and that's going to mess with a freaking 19% pressure rate, don't touch it. I don't want you to touch it. That is the most freaking insane thing ever. The fact that he was arguably, at least based on that one metric, the best pass rusher in the NFL in 2021 and was on track for a better pressure rate in 2022, I I don't know what to say about that other than please, for the love of God, no more injuries. Don't just don't. 
do it, please, please, please. Find some kind of superhuman strength to never let that happen again. And it's for that reason that I genuinely think he's underrated. I know that sounds crazy, but considering how much the Packers are nitpicked, the problem is a lot of people that doubt the Packers look at it and go, okay, yeah, you got uh, Rashawn, who's pretty good. No, 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 no. Bullcrap. And, and by the way, this is Rashawn Gary is the Aaron Jones of the defense. Aaron Jones is like, yeah, he's fine. No, 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 no. He's better than everybody that you think he's not better than, right? All, all that stuff about, you know, where he, uh, he's, he's like a second tier or whatever. Like, okay, he's not Garrett. He's not Bosa. He's not Parsons or Crosby or Daniil or Vaughn. Or he, he's not on that tier, but he's like second tier. He's like Josh Sweat, you know, uh, Trey Hendrickson, Gregory Rousseau. Nope. Nope. That's false. Do you know what Miles Garrett's pressure rate was last year? And by the way, fantastic pressure rate. You know what it was? It was just under 15%. In my estimation, or in, based on what I would call my scale, I'd say that's pretty elite. Rashawn, 19. Last year, a little over 18. Micah Parsons, absolutely stupid numbers, 18.3%. I'm actually stunned to see that because I very rarely see anybody in the 18. All he really did is duplicate what Rashawn did last year, and again, Rashawn was on a much better path than Micah this year. Nick Bosa, 16 and a half. Still elite, but not Rashawn Gary elite. So just understand, although the guy is not going to get the credit he deserves, these are parts, little tiny microscopic parts of the reason why the Packers are underrated. And it's also why, you know, when, when people underrate the Packers defense based on, well, look how bad they were last year. Well, you had a lot of guys underperforming is part of the issue, and you also had one of the best defensive players in the NFL miss half the year. All these things kind of add up a little bit. We can't just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen and assume that everything that happened last year has to be the exact same thing this year. Nobody can get better. Nobody's coming back from injury. Nobody that underperformed is going to go back to being their normal self. They're going to stay at their rock bottom for all eternity. It's just silly. Anyways, what are we talking about? Oh yeah, Preston Smith. So Preston's been around a while. He originally started in Washington. He was a second-round pick for the Washington Redskins in 2015. 6'5", 265, ran a 4.74. Um, he essentially had three pretty mediocre years with them, 64, 63, 63, but pretty much 64s across the board. Run defense was, I mean, wildly consistent. Uh, high 50s. Tackling was about 60. And his pass rush was, call it 60s. Sorry about the quietness. I have no idea why this thing decides to just change its settings randomly. Anyways, then in 2018, though, with Washington, he has his first sort of breakout in, in terms of the grades and whatnot, and I'm sure the, the pro personnel staff and everything see that. So he goes from 64 to 76. Tackling goes from about a 59 to a 72. Um, sorry, his run defense. His tackling went from a 54 to a 70. Uh, pass rush stayed about the same, 68, almost identical to the year before. And then he had a, a solid covered grade on his 51 attempts dropping into coverage, which I know nobody wants to hear about, but it's a thing that all 32 teams do, and we just got to get over it. Well, three, four teams, I guess. In that year, he had uh, 53 pressures and six sacks on 468 pass rush attempts, which is 11.3%, which again, is good. 11, 12% is good. It's not very good. It's not great. It's not elite. It's good. But, you know, you factor in the 11% plus really good run defense grade, which, by the way, is what he was hyped up to be. So there's, I think there's a lot of narrative about Preston that's 
incorrect. And there's stuff that even I, and it's the exact reason why we're doing this, started to adopt that was somewhat incorrect. The idea coming from Washington is he's a really good run defender that has some potential as a pass rusher. Remember, his run defense grades were 55, 59, 59, and then 72 out of nowhere. And it's like, oh, he's a really good run. No, he was a good run defender for one year when he got his big contract with Green Bay. But it was pretty much his only year with a higher run defense grade than pass rush grade. And it was his only good, uh, his only year having even a good run defense grade, much less a mediocre. He never quite hit 60. Then he comes to Green Bay, statistically has a super elite year. Now, PFF really didn't care for him um, as far as his overall grades, but the pass rush is where he excelled, and that's all anybody really needs to know. He had 62 pressures and 15 sacks in 2019. So he's sitting at 13.6%. Now you're getting into that very good category. Remember, guys like Miles Garrett are kind of hovering around 14, you know, ish percent. Their range is probably, you know, 13 to 15 generally with some super big breakout 18 years or whatever. And some of these guys have never hit those big breakout numbers. So 13.6 is really good company. And again, 15 sacks is ridiculous. But his PFF grade was just a 66. His run defense plummeted down to a 62. His tackling was a 53, lowest of his career. By the way, um, every year in Green Bay, his tackling has been significantly worse than Washington. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. If I may go off on a little side tangent here, the Green Bay Packers have always been notorious for being a soft defense. I think the Green Bay Packers have always been a very finesse team. And I think a lot of what comes with that is they are a very quote unquote intelligent team. They go and they, they, they follow the the right process, the right data. And what data will tell you is that coverage is what's most important. But you get what you practice. You get what you emphasize. And when you don't emphasize run defense and especially tackling as much as other teams like Washington, who's always been a pretty formidable defense, even with somewhat mid-tier guys, you know, they've got a couple studs and some, but they've always been just kind of a stingy, consistent defense. And I think a lot of that just has to do with general tackling right? But he comes to Green Bay and he's a better pass rusher than he's ever been. Why? Pass rush is a passing thing. They want good pass rushers and they're willing to sacrifice some of his run defense stuff, which is why I just generally have a low expectation for our run defense, because no matter who we go out and get, go out and get a run defender and he goes to a team where the defense emphasizes pass rushing. I mean, it's not just, I'm not talking like on a player by player thing, you get the nose tackle and they're like, all right, we're going to make you a dominant pass rusher, but it comes down to the drills they do. The plays they call, the alignments, everything is about taking away the big explosive plays. Get the pass rushers going, drop your guys in coverage, take away the deep shots, and we give up tons of five-yard runs and eight-yard crossing routes on, you know, third and five. Anyways, I don't know those things to be true. That is that is general speculation, but I, I, I think that that is the case. I'm comfortable with the theory, let's put it that way. So anyways, back to Preston. One of the things that's interesting is... This idea that he's kind of up and down, right? Good year, bad year, good year, bad year. And the way that that would pan out, obviously that only works in Green Bay because it would have been back-to-back if you're talking Washington. But 2019 good, 2020 bad. 2021 good, 2022 bad. couple interesting things about that. Number one, I saw an interview with Preston Smith and um, The Rock was interviewing him and said, you know, you've got this sort of up and down thing and it looks like you proved him wrong in 2022. So there is a belief that 
in 2022, he broke that curse. So that would mean good, bad, good, good. I think to a lot of other people, it's still good, bad, good, bad, because last year was not necessarily a good year. And if you look at it, it depends what it is you're looking at. So here's, here's a few different ways of, of looking at this. His overall PFF grade was essentially bad, bad, good, bad, which is to say he's really not been that good of a player for us. 2021 was an absolute freakish year. That was the year he needed his contract. We saw the same thing from Nick Perry, um, although Perry was significantly worse, but he didn't really do much for us. And then in a contract year, he absolutely blew up. And after his contract year, we got nothing from him. 60, 50, 80, 60. Now 60 isn't bad, but the thing is, it's pretty standard for him. His, his grade since 2015, 60, 60, 60, 70. 60, 50, 80, 60. He's got two good seasons mixed in. One was his final year in Washington. One was his contract year in Green Bay. Now that's if you're just looking at his overall grade. If you look at his pass rush grade, it's good, bad, good, bad, which is what we were saying. If you look at his sacks, which I'm guessing is what you know a lot of people have looked at, 15 was good, 5 was bad. 9 was good, 10 was good. So it's... You know, it, it wasn't a big drop-off year where he had five sacks total. If we look at the pressures, which in my opinion are much more significant, not not in terms of, you know, obviously sacks are the most important form of pressure, but if you want to actually detail how good of a pass rusher he is, sacks are not the best way to go about doing that. So I mentioned when he came to Green Bay, although he didn't grade out very well overall, largely because of a terrible coverage grade, terrible tackling grade, and, and mediocre run defense grade, he was at 13.6%, which as a pass rusher is great. In 2020... It was horrible. He had a 6.5 pressure rate and five sacks. I don't know how in the world you go from 13 to 6, but that is sickeningly horrible. Then he goes right back to 63 pressures in 2021. He had 62 in 2019, and his snap counts have been wildly consistent if you look at pass rush snaps. 456, 446, 457. So in 2019, it was 456. In 2021, it was 457. Pressures were 62 and 63. Kind of insane. And so in reality, 2021 on a pressure basis was actually slightly better. It was 13.8%. So the nine sacks wasn't as good. Most people are going to go, well, it wasn't quite 2019, but blah, blah. No, 2021 was his best season as a, as a pass rusher. It was his best season as a run defender. It was his best season in coverage. He just had less sacks, which are a fleeting result of pressures. There's wild variations in how many of your pressures turn into sacks. Then, in 2022, he was at almost exactly 10%, but with 10 sacks. So if you're just looking at sacks, it was, a, it was his second best year in Green Bay. But from a pressure standpoint, it was his second worst year, although still acceptable. So from a pressure standpoint, it's borderline elite, horrible, elite, barely adequate. I guess we'll just say adequate. We don't need to add the dramatics. So if you were to put it on a scale out of 10, which is kind of what PFF does, but let's alter it. It would be like 8, 4, 8, 6, 5 or 6, whatever. I, I, you, you know, if you think about it in terms of grades in school, it's like, well, you failed. Well, no, I'm just saying like middle of the road, I guess. So technically, you know, if, if it were up to me to, to judge it, it has been up, down, up, down. But the down wasn't as horrifically bad as 2020. And so from a pressure standpoint, which is what most of us care about, it's been like 13.5% and absolutely not 13.5%, and then 13.5%, and then definitely not 13.5%. So as far as the up-down, up-down goes, obviously we're hoping that this is an up year, you get that 13.5%. There is a question, I guess, in my mind in terms of does his the amount of help that he gets matter? So for example, 2019, Zadarius was out of his freaking mind. 
And then in 2022, Rashawn Gary got injured. Uh, Zadarius was there in 2019, but his uh, production plummeted. He went from 105 pressures down to 59. Again, remember, it's very similar with Zadarius as it is with Rodgers, where Zadarius went to the Pro Bowl in his second year and not his first. And it's like, he he deserved it in 2019. I'm not positive he deserved it in 2020. Maybe he did. He's still good. but And the sacks were through the roof, which is why nobody cares. And, you know, with Rodgers, you know, 2020, he was absolutely... But 2021, eh. But to put it into context, Zadarius in 2019, 17.7%, which... So again, I, I, I referenced this earlier, significantly kind of lower than Rashawn, right? So Rashawn being well into the 18s, essentially the last two years, uh, just... Uh, it, it, it freaks me out how crazy that is. So 2019... Freakish Zadarius. 2020, Rashawn hadn't broken out yet. That was in 2021 for Rashawn. Zadarius's pressure rate went from 17.6 or whatever I said down to 9.6. Sub 10%. Again, sacks were still really high, but he wasn't getting to the quarterback very much at all. And he, while it's double teams, it's this, it's that, fine. But he wasn't impacting the quarterback as much as he did in 2019. So, I mean, it doesn't have to directly correlate, but it does <laughs> the two times he had absolutely freakishly elite pass rushers were 2019 and 2021 and that's when Preston is there so it, it's kind of like you're either going to get two really good pass rushers or zero 2019 we had elite Zadarius and elite Preston 2020 we had neither 2021 we had elite Preston and elite Rashan. 2022 we had neither and just for fun, I looked at Preston Smith up through the period in which Rashawn was there. He was at 12.4%. If you go back just one week before he got injured, so that if you exclude the game in which he got injured, he was at 13.4%. He was at the exact same percentage we saw with Elite Rashawn and Elite Zedarius. So I'm going to go ahead and put a bow on that. It, it, it's not definitive proof, but I'm comfortable with that. When he had Elite Zedarius... 13.5%. When he had elite Rashawn, 13.5%. When he had elite Rashawn this past year for that first half of the year, 13.5%. Which means, let's look at the rest of the year, with no Rashawn, 7.7%. Wow. The other, the other great thing about this, and we, we hope Rashawn comes back soon, and we hope he can stay healthy the, 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 the entire year, but we've added Lucas Van Ness, which hopefully can increase the amount of time Preston is out there with a highly capable pass rusher. And look, you know, there's questions about, you know, why Lucas Van Ness, and, and I think it was Brett Coleman, I can't remember, I think I've said it on this podcast already, but one of the things he mentioned is the way that they specifically play run defense requires really good edge rushers. Then losing Rashawn kind of devastated them, but I think it goes beyond run defense. You look at the ripple effect of everything. I mean, pass rush in general. Again, it, although it was a mistake, they decided to start bringing extra pass rushers to compensate. That was a problem because it ma made you deficient in coverage. But also look how it impacts everybody else. Look how poorly Preston played as a result. So it feels like, considering we added two interior pass rushers, upgraded one interior pass rusher, and then drafted another edge rusher. Did I say interior edge rusher? Interior pass rushers? You know what I meant. You know what I want? Added a first round edge rusher. It feels like the Packers just said, all right, enough with this crap. I know, I know, I know. You want to know the wide receiver? We are not doing this again. I want pass rush. I will have pass rush. We got Rashawn. We got Lucas Van Ness. And unless either 
both of them suck, or one sucks and the other is injured, or both get injured, we should have Preston on top of it. So, granting either a suck, which really would only probably be Lucas Van Ness potentially, or an injury to either of those two, well, not either, to two or, you know, whatever. We should have Preston, and so we'll have three. Or two at all times. Or one at all times. Because even if, you know, if, if, if it's Preston that gets hurt, and we should still have Rashawn, I don't think he's necessarily as needy. I think Rashawn is just a beast. And, and again, these are the things that, you know, when people kind of just look at it on a, on a basic level of, you know, the, well, the defense was bad last year, so it's going to be bad this year. I understand the pessimism. I understand the, you know, I'm tired of hyping this thing up and it doesn't turn into what I want it to be. I get all of that. I don't know what we're going to get from Jair. I don't know when Rashawn's coming back. I don't know what version of Preston we're going to get. I don't know if Kenny's just on a complete nosedive or if he's going to pick it up from last year or what's going to happen with that. I don't know what kind of a job Joe Barry's going to do. I don't know what we're going to get from our coverage. I don't know any of that stuff. All I know is we're bad every year and I'm tired of it. But I, 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 I generally just can't sympathize with a... Although I do it a lot, if we're actually trying to have an intellectual discussion about it, I think just throwing around, I don't know, I feel like, isn't the most convincing argument. Really trying to project what we're going to be this year, you know? So again, Preston, we just gloss over the fact that there is a massive difference between really bad Preston at like 6% and really good Preston at 13.5%. And that's going to make a massive difference on the defense and the team overall, just that one guy, you know, Rashawn being out half the year. We don't we don't seem to care that that's a major factor. Lucas Van Ness being brought into the fold. We don't seem to care. Devontae Wyatt being given a larger role um, and going into year two. We've I, I, I think we've just become so jaded on top of probably the majority of the fan base just genuinely believing we will never be anything as long as Joe Barry is our defensive coordinator. And that may be the case. But I come at it from the standpoint of, look, freaking figure it out. Because we've not, as tired as you are at Joe Barry, I'm tired of switching defensive coordinators thinking that's going to fix something. I'm sitting here looking at it going, dude, I don't think we, should have hired, we shouldn't have fired Dom Capers. Dom Capers had nothing to work with. We had no talent on that team. You had washed up clay, garbage Perry, terrible, 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 terrible secondary. I mean, we had, like, Kenny, Mike Daniels. And then I think it was probably like, haha, Clinton Dix was like our next best player. Like, it was garbage. What would freaking Dom Capers be doing if he had Rashawn and Preston and Kenny and Wyatt and Quay and Devondre and Jair? I mean, I'm, I'm, I, if there's one thing I'm ticked off about Joe Barry, even though I'm probably the only person on this freaking train, is that I think he ruined Savage. I genuinely believe if Mike Pettin was our defensive coordinator, we would have a pretty solid safety. Again, he went from a mediocre rookie season to a pretty solid junior season to, hey, let's switch defensive coordinators because we're tired of petting and we think that's going to fix everything, and everything fell apart. Now, I mean, our linebackers suddenly started being graded out great because he's a linebackers coach, and gee golly willikers, if, if, if we know anything, and the Bears will back us up on this, linebackers are how you win in the NFL. Freaking crying out loud. But look, I, 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 it's, it's simple, man. Just fix it. All right? 
I don't know what you got to do. I don't know if you need to change your, your, your scheme to a different scheme. I don't know if you just need to adjust within your scheme. I don't know if you need to allow your players to be more free, if you need to dumb down your defense, make it more complex, make it more aggressive, less aggressive. I don't know. You're the freaking defensive coordinator. Pair up with your, your defensive assistants, pair up with Matt LaFleur, and figure it out. We have too much freaking talent to fail again this year. I understand injuries happen, and that negatively impacted us. Not having Rashawn, and then having Preston fall off, that sucks. And who knows, it may have affected Kenny a little bit as well. Although I think his decline started after like week four or five. So even though the numbers will kind of look like it, it's basically skewed because through the first four weeks, he was really, really good. And then was ba- bad throughout that or whatever. So, you know, I mean, it's 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 also kind of cool as far as Preston. I know I'm taking way too long on these guys, but... I'm I'm excited about it. I'm excited about pass rushers. And I think we, and, and myself especially, forget to get excited about Preston. Preston's always been sort of that number two that we assume is just this, he's just kind of like a run defender. Sometimes he's a, he's a quality pass rusher, but not really. That's not true. Essentially two and a half years here, he has been a real top pass rusher. And by top, I mean, again, 13 and a half, you know, there might be, I don't know, 20 guys that are doing it, but that's, that's fantastic. Maybe not even 15, 10, I don't know. I'm not going to go do the math right now, but he, he is a high-quality pass rusher. We just got to get stuff right, man. You've got everything you freaking need. Come on. And we, 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 we have to worry about our offense this year. I mean, we did kind of last year, too. Again, we lost Devontae, uh, rookie guys, quarterback with a broken thumb. All these things mean, hey, we need the defense to step up. And when it didn't, everything freaking fell apart. But this year, we, we go into it knowing 100%. Like, we're not putting this team on Jordan's shoulders. Maybe someday but probably shouldn't be this year. Defense is where all the talent is. It's where all the veterans are. It's where all these high-flying, high-fluting, elite athlete, blah, blah, blah. You guys are the ones that need to carry the team a little bit. And if it isn't a top-10 defense, we are not going to the playoffs. That's not 100% you know, true, but it's, it's close enough to being 100% in my mind that I'm wildly comfortable saying it. Then the goal should be top five, without question. By far the best in the NFC North, without question. Honestly, I'd like to dig in a little bit more on Preston, but I think we've covered that pretty pretty well, at least from a pass rush standpoint. You could always circle back, and if you have questions, call into Packernet After Dark. But we do need to take a break, and then we need to start picking up the pace a little bit. So patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. It would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Or hit me up on Venmo at Packernet Podcast. Uh, please remember Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. Uh, my dad has got his passports. They are headed out to Africa. They're going to be expanding the ministry. Do not remember the country, but they're going to be heading out there pretty soon. So uh, either financial support or prayers would be greatly appreciated for them and uh, what they're doing. And again, please head over to the GoFundMe that is linked to the top of my um, Twitter, as well as the top of the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. We did see another donation there from Cody Hoffman. If you're a listener, thank you so much for your donation. Again, very, very sad situation, and anything we can do to help, obviously, is important that uh, we try to do that if we can. Otherwise, again, if you don't have the financial means, you can still help out a ton just by spreading the word. Talk to your friends, talk to your family, share it on your personal Facebook, share it on social media, whatever you can do. I mean, if, if I mean, you, you could probably drum up a lot more money that way. You know, share it with 10 people, 100 people, be really, really uh, impactful. Anyways, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, why don't we jump to Kingsley and Igbare? I do tend to think Lucas Van Ness will be that next guy in line, although Justin Hollins has been making a case for it, seemingly. 
for some reason. But I do want to rip through some of the known commodities before we get to the new 2023 editions. So lots of hype for Kingsley. Similar draft classes this year and last year, whereas the Packers generally, at least since, um, let's say, the last couple years of Ted Thompson's tenure through Brian Gutekunst's tenure, the Packers haven't been necessarily revered for their drafting and potentially for good reason. But, you know, that leads to maybe some unfair assessment. But the last couple years, whether or not they're actually good draft picks, I don't know. None of us know. But at the very least, the consensus is, First of all, lots of picks, but also seemingly finding a lot of guys that the consensus has a lot higher and ended up falling. And Kingsley Anigbari is one of those guys. He was sort of an early mid-round pick that fell into the fifth, and when the Packers picked him, there was just sort of a collective, holy crap, why is he still available? Now, as a very brief refresher, South Carolina Gamecocks, six foot four, two fifty-eight, um, very similar <laughs> looking grades to what you get from Preston. It was 70, 60, 60, and then boom, breakout, 88. Now, to be fair, his pass rush grades have always been his biggest asset. It was a 74, borderline 70, and then two big breakout years, 89, and then 92.5 were his grades. Um, this past That past year, which is 2021, he had f- only four sacks, which again, most people look at that and go, this guy is complete trash, but 45 pressures on 257 attempts. That's good for 17.5%. Now, that is a little bit more common in college than it is in the NFL, but that's still fantastic numbers. And again, a 92.5 pass rush grade. And the run defense wasn't terrible. 68 run defense, 69 tackling, even a 66 coverage for a good measure. Which is why, even though his pass rush didn't improve all that much, he went from a 68 to an 88 because he massively improved his run defense, his tackling, and even the coverage a little bit. So, um... Massive breakout in 2020 as a pass rusher. In 2021, he showed complete versatility, and he kind of fits the mold, right? He's a he's a bigger edge guy. He's not, you know, some of the bigger guys we have, but 6'4", 260, fits the mold. Now, he came in, really didn't disappoint in the training camp portion of things. You know, there was a lot of hype, but then you kind of reel it in, like, eh, I'm not so sure. But he started getting a more prominent role, possibly potentially because of the lack of talent that we had. But the preseason didn't exactly go super well. He played 111 snaps through three games and ended up with a 49 grade overall 49 run defense 56 tackling 62 pass rush 43 coverage regular season rolled around and it was improved now he had some bad stretches but if you look at for example through week 11 he was really really good now i don't know this is actually kind of interesting he almost has an exact opposite reaction to the rest of our defense. So our defense was bad, and then after the bye, everybody figured it out. After the bye, Kingsley kind of fell off. So pre-bye, his grades, and, and granted, he didn't, you know, his snap counts didn't really reach maturity, we'll say, until week seven. He had a couple big games in there, but here's the grades. Minus the one, you know, there's a 28 mixed in, but 71, 60, 65, 28, 70, 90, 68, 38, there's two, I guess, 61, 68, 80, and then 60. So that's pretty solid. So if if we look at it, from week 13 on, Kingsley had a 49 grade and had 10 pressures on 96 attempts and one sack. So 49 grade is pretty terrible. 35 run defense, 28 tackling, 55 pass rush. Prior to week 13, he had a nearly 70 grade 15 pressures on 159 attempts, which is actually a a lower 
pass rush rate, which isn't great, but 66 run defense, 71 tackling, 65 pass rush, and a 77 coverage. So I don't know if there's anything to that. And again, the, the slide technically started one week prior to our bye week, so I don't know if there's a direct correlation there. But really, he had a, a really, really good rookie season, but just had this rough patch in, you know, sort of week 13, 15, 16 right there. And then a couple others, you know, week eight against Buffalo was rough, week four against New England. Otherwise, though, aside from just these, you know, five really bad games, I mean, it was just steady, eddy, solid with two really good games, Tennessee, 81 grade, and then against the Jets, a 90 grade. He didn't play a ton of snaps in that game, but... um you know, he really is a guy, if, if you can just raise the floor, I'm not even going to say consistency necessarily, just raise the floor. No more 20s and 30s. You know, if, if your bad day is like a 55, this grade shoots up, even if you get rid of the 80s and 90s, it's going to shoot up well into the 70s, and it's going to be a big jump. So just minimize some of the terrible games that you had and continue to be a consistent. I'm fine with a guy that's, you know, 68 every week. That's perfectly fine with me for a number four, five edge rusher. But 25 pressures, 255 attempts, and three sacks, obviously not super ideal. It's slightly sub 10%, and the sacks obviously are not exactly there. 54 run defense is not good. 50 tackling is not good. So he's got to tighten that up a little bit. But again, a lot of this just has to do with being heavily weighted on five games. And I think three of these are in like a three-game stretch where maybe he had an injury. I'm not really sure. I don't recall that, but it's possible. The only other thing I really wanted to look at was his snap counts because, again, he's kind of um, seemingly drifting away. However, there's really nothing to suggest that his snap counts are being taken away. I mean, his two highest snap counts were weeks 10 and week 12, so technically there's a little bit of a drop-off, but he was, you know, 60, 30, 50, and then it was 29, 31, 36, 34, 29. It's relatively consistent basically since week 7. But the big competitor is the guy that I want to talk about next, and that's Mr. Justin Hollins. So Hollins is a guy that I definitely need to look at because I, I just get confused about this. We picked up a guy, and I kind of just shrugged, and I was like, eh, it doesn't really matter. He's not going to do anything, which is always dangerous because every time I say that, they go on to be some kind of elite superstar. But the really weird thing is I don't hardly even remember him playing last year. And as I look at it, it's understandable why. We'll get into his history in a second here, but he didn't grade out well. He didn't play a ton of snaps. He's never really been all that great. He doesn't seem to fit what the Packers like at 6'5", 248. He's a sub-250 pass rusher. Maybe they like having at least one of those guys on, you know, the sort of uh, Kyler Fackrell types. But again, coming out of uh, or going into OTAs, a lot of times it was Preston and Hollins. Like that was the one and two. Now that doesn't necessarily mean anything's concrete, but it was really surprising to see that almost every week. And then Lucas Van Ness took over. It's like, all right, finally... And then it was Hollins again after like that one time. So Justin Hollins was a fifth round pick by the Denver Broncos in 2019 out of Oregon. For Denver, he ended up with a 55th, 55.8 overall grade, a 49 pass rush grade. He had 10 pressures and a sack on 137 attempts. We don't need to do the math on that. It's not very good. The next year, he was already out of Denver. The LA Rams picked him up, which kind of makes sense. He seems like a Rams guy. The Rams are one of the few teams that seem to like these sort of lighter Pass rushers was probably why they never have good pass rushers. But the stats were almost identical. Although his sacks went from one to four, it was 136 pressures and 10 pressures, uh, 136 attempts, 10 pressures again. Almost identical. Not good. His grade did go up to a 66. The next year went up to a 69. So I guess that would be kind of his quote unquote breakout year with LA. 
Then in 2022, he started the season with L.A., uh, played through week 11, mustered up a 53 grade, a 50 pass rush grade, had six pressures on 143 attempts. Again, remember, we're shooting for at least 15 pressures. He had six and one sack with a 60 run defense grade, et cetera, et cetera, right? Just nothing really great about that. After the game against New Orleans, in which he had a 48 grade and um, zero pressures, which was the third game out of his last four, and his four-fifth game out of his last uh, six, seven, where he had zero pressures. Five out of his last seven. Six games total, he had not a single pressure. The LA Rams waived him. Midseason, like, you know what? You're one of our starting pass rushers, but just get off my team. You suck. Packers November 24th claimed him off of waivers. What did he do for us? Well, his first game was one of his best games from a pressure standpoint of the entire season, but still not great. 62 grade, 57 run defense, 63 pass rush, three pressures on 13 attempts and a sack, right? So that's that's super cool. But the rest of the season, so it was 62, 61, 64, 63, and then he ended the season 49-49. Now again, as a pass rusher, because freaking this is what Green Bay does, it's all about the pass rush. He actually did better than what he usually does. So whereas he's generally a sub 10% guy, and we're talking about a small sample size here, granted, but nine pressures, 83 attempts, and three sacks. He had one sack from weeks one through 11, and then in his six games here, he had three sacks. And he had nine pressures. He only had six pressures with LA. So he did significantly improve. He was a better tackler than he's pretty much ever been. His pass rush grade was a 57 but I think he's one of those guys who's a little bit more athletic. So whereas he maybe doesn't win as much because he's smaller, when he does win, he's probably going to impact the quarterback more so than some of these other guys, you know, that are not quite as fast, agile, athletic. So that's the only thing I can think in terms of a 57 grade, but, you know, 11% pressure rate, three sacks. And and look, maybe it's just because of the small sample size it got the Packers all excited, like they think we genuinely got something here. And maybe we do. I will take that all day long. For, for the record, if we extrapolate that out, we're talking like 45 pressures and 15 sacks. If you give him the same amount of snaps as Preston had, that's kind of the numbers we're dealing with. Which, let's be honest, that's wildly unsustainable. 15 sacks and just 45 pressures, that's stupid. But the Packers seem to like him. I'm, as you can tell by my tone, wildly skeptical. But, you know, again, if you're talking about your number four, three, four, five pass rusher, that's pretty good, man. Some teams, this is like the best guy they have, or this would be like their number two. We've got at least three guys better than this, I'm guessing. I know two. I'm hoping that Lucas Van Ness is better. All right, so that brings us to, uh, we, well, we've got two guys, Jonathan Garvin and Ladarius uh, Hamilton. I was going to say Gunter. That's not correct. So Garvin and Hamilton have been sort of those number three, four guys for a while that are slowly getting pushed down by guys like Kingsley, Justin Hollins. Now we got Lucas Van Ness. And then, of course, we added in a bunch of other guys that we're going to try to hurry up and get to. Brenton Cox, Kenneth Odumegwu, and Keyshawn Banks. So these guys are really hanging on by a thread, and I feel like both of them are guys, in my opinion, that have been sort of just setting a floor and have been here because we just don't really have a lot of better options. So the point is they really, really are going to need to step it up if they're going to stay on the team. Because they do have experience, but you know they also are probably some lesser options. So for example, Jonathan Garvin, he's not even quite 24 yet. 6'4", almost 260, 2027th round pick, right? So there's, there's a lot to like. 
unless you consider play an important part of his game. <laughs> so in 2020, we'll just do regular season. We'll rip through these. He had a 53 grade. He played 85 snaps, 61 pass rush snaps, had one pressure, no sacks. It was it was pretty terrible. 2021 is when he had his most action. He was a borderline average player, 59.6, 53 run defense, 58 pass rush, 25 pressures on 224 attempts, which is really quite fine, and two sacks, which isn't great. But again, for, for a number four type of guy, it's acceptable. And I, I didn't dislike Garvin. Then 2022 rolls around. He uh, drops down from about 400 snaps down to 200. He has his worst grade ever at 50.6 overall, 45 run defense, 57 pass rush grade, just seven pressures on 83 attempts, which is, as you can figure out, sub 10% and zero sack. Then if you look at sort of a week to week, he really just had a decent stretch weeks 9, 10, and 11. But, I mean, he started the season 43-29, 45-43. He ended the season 50-54-31. and 31. So, aside from this little patch in the middle, it was, it was brutal. And then you've also got to figure, this is a guy who is not showing up when the doors are open for OTAs and things, just saying, no, I'm not coming. He's not really putting out the effort, and he's not putting out the production either that you're getting now from Kingsley and Igbari and Justin Hollins, and obviously Lucas Van Ness is going to be ahead of him. So he's already on the hot seat. So he really, really needs to come in, which is the first step that he already failed, and then produce at a high level. And I, I just genuinely am not expecting that. Then you get to Ladarius Hamilton, slightly different situation. He was actually a 2020 undrafted free agent who went to the Dallas Cowboys. Didn't really do anything with Dallas. No preseason action, nothing. 2021, he got picked up by Tampa Bay. He did uh, play in the preseason in Tampa Bay, did actually a pretty decent job in his limited opportunities, 71 run defense grade, 76 tackling, 62 pass rush grade, two pressures on 27 attempts, which is kind of fine. You're, I mean, it's such a small, okay, it's much such a small sample size you're looking at between two and three, he had two, and a sack, which is fine. 2022, Green Bay picks him up, so three years, three teams. In Green Bay, he played in two of the preseason games, did an okay job, 66 grade, 55 run defense, 72 pass rush. Again, backers in that pass rush. And again, two pressures on 26 attempts, almost identical to 2021, just without the sack. So not a lot of exposure in the preseason. He did play a little bit for Green Bay in 2021 at the end of the season in the regular season. Ended with a, uh, in, in his 64 opportunities, a 63 grade, which again is great. The, the biggest issue is he had a limited opportunity in 2022, and it was quite bad. He came in week seven. No pressures, 32 grade, 39 run defense, 21 tackling grade. It's just one missed tackle, but when you have one opportunity and you miss, that sucks. Then he comes back week 10, a 39 grade, and then he comes back week 11, 66. So he ended the season with a 35-34 run defense, 25 tackling, 58 pass rush, one pressure, 10 attempts, no sacks. So Ladarius at 6'3", 260, again, right in that uh, what you're looking for. If I had to guess, I would kind of think Ladarius is ahead of Garvin, but Garvin does have more experience with the Packers. Uh, he is younger, but you know, if you told me you had to pick one of those guys, personally, I would say Ladarius. Um, even if Garvin seems to be a slightly better prospect, I just, I, I, I don't really want, you know, you, you put up with certain attitudinal problems, make up words if I want, if they're guys like Aaron Rodgers and David Bakhtiari, I'm not putting up with it if you're a roster bubble guy. So I will happily give opportunities to guys like Ladarius Hamilton, assuming they're putting in the effort, over guys like Garvin. 
Now, I don't know the full extent of things. Maybe Garvin is doing a Jair thing where he's got this intense camp that he goes to, and he's like, look, I'm just really putting in a ton of work over here, and I just think it's more beneficial. I don't really know. Maybe he gets in when he gets into Green Bay, and he works harder than anybody. I don't mean to just flat out disparage the guy without knowing. I'm just saying it's not a great look. And if that is the case, I, I just don't see any reason to keep him around aside from, you know, what we did in the past, which is keep him around because we kind of had to. We don't have to anymore. But neither of them are super fantastic. Garvin kind of took a nosedive. Ladarius, both of these guys kind of had bad 2022 seasons. Neither of them have really high ceilings. They're really just guys that are break glass in case of emergency type players. And with the amount of bodies that we're bringing in, I don't know that we're going to it's super realistic we're going to get down to that level as far as emergencies and then they're, they're kind of getting it on both sides because not only do we have so many bodies in front of them now as opposed to it being you know two guys and then garvin now we've got rashawn preston van ness kingsley and hollands all in front of them which might just be all the pass rushers we have maybe one more spot or something but but you've also got pressure from the other side not only are Garvin and Hamilton competing with each other, but you've got Banks and Odomegwu and Brenton Cox, who are also trying to demonstrate that they can actually be a better version of what you got from Garvin, which is a, to be honest, a relatively low bar. You, you've got, you know, Brenton Cox, who we'll talk about in a little bit, with a much higher ceiling. He's much younger. Why not? You know what I mean? So I am very, um, I always get the bullish and bearish thing mixed up, but I'm very bearish. It's actually really easy to remember. Bulls are good, bears are bad. Uh, bearish on Jonathan Garvin and Ladarius Hamilton. We'll see how it pans. I mean, training camp's going to give us a much clearer picture. Training camp, preseason, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we can revisit this, but I just, I don't really see it. I think if you go back to 2021 Garvin and, and how he was kind of, I mean, first of all, big improvement and all this stuff. Uh, I thought he was a quality plug-and-play backup, but, you know, then he fell off and everything. It's just, and I don't, I don't see a purpose for it. But all right, let's talk about the new guys. Lucas Van Ness, Keyshawn Banks, Brenton Cox, Kenneth Odomegwu. We'll start with the man, Lucas Van Ness. Again, Dane Brugler, pretty big fan. Had him as the number 10 overall prospect, the number three pass rusher. Um, obviously, first round pick. Third year sophomore, 6'5", 272, 458 speed, etc., etc. He is 21 Point eight years old from Barrington, Illinois. So one of the things about him that is becoming kind of popular is the fact that he's actually a really good um, hockey player, played a lot of hockey. And he at least attributes a lot of his balance and bend. And a lot of the guys that did some scouting and scouting videos on him and whatnot talked about the angles at which he attacks, which is crazy. You know, if you, if you freeze frame him launching into an offensive tackle, he's at a 45 degree angle, which is really hard for an offensive tackle to be able to defend because he's so low. And so he's got a lot of bend, got a lot of balance, and he credits that a lot to hockey. Started playing hockey at age six, played for the Barrington Red Wings, Yellow Jackets, Northwest Chargers, and uh, hockey, I guess, was his sole focus until his mom pushed him to try football in eighth grade. He went to Barrington High School, which was down the street from Streamwood High School, where I went. So all through high school, he uh, played hockey and football and dominated, obviously. He led Barrington to the school's first Final Four appearance at the 2019-2020 state championships. But uh, three-star recruit only, number 52 strong side defensive end, 2020 recruiting class, number 21 recruit out of Illinois. Uh, another thing about Van Ness that I think the Packers really look for, and it'd be something to kind of keep an eye on moving forward, is how important intelligence seems to be. Christian Watson, extremely intelligent. Lucas Van Ness, also. He, and he got offers 
from Brown, Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Princeton, and Yale. All of them offered him scholarships. He also got offers from Illinois, Kansas State, and the military academies, but he had his eye on Iowa. Um, His parents attended Iowa State. Father was a Hawkeyes fan, so there's some Iowa connections there. So he decided to go to a recruiting camp for Iowa City in 2019. Van Ness received an offer from head coach Kirk Ferentz, committed a few days later. That was in Iowa City, not from Iowa City. And if you forgot, which I did, Van Ness is currently dating the younger sister, Frankie, of Chicago Bears tight end Cole Komet. I want to make an inappropriate comment so bad. I'm just picturing Van Ness trying to be blocked by Cole Komet. Van Ness pancaking the guy standing over him and then making a comment about, you know, something about his sister. Just saying. Summary, coming off the bench, Van Ness is primarily an edge rusher and defensive coordinator Phil Parker's four-man front, but he also saw significant snaps from the inside over the B-gap. The Iowa coaches reward seniority, so John Wagner and Joe Evans started at defensive end last season, but Van Ness had more defensive snaps than either and led the Hawkeyes in tackles for a loss in sacks. Regardless of alignment, Van Ness has high-end tools with length and play strength, which allows him to wear down blockers and pass rushers or stack, locate, and play off blocks in the run game. A hockey player most of his life, he credits his timing on the ice for developing his balance, urgent play style, and competitive toughness. Overall, Van Ness needs uh, coached up with his pass rush construction and overall pacing, but he's an ascending player, competes like a grizzly bear with his fierce power and explosive twitch. He has the upside of an impactful NFL starter with inside-outside versatility regardless of scheme. And that really is the big thing with him, and it's part of the reason why I'm so confident in Van Ness. I don't know if he'll ever reach his ceiling, but I think his floor is push the guy in front of you. He's one of the more powerful guys I've seen come out as far as his ability to just push the guy in front of him. And when you're talking about collapsing the pocket, which Rashawn and Preston do very well, you add him to that list, it's a good addition. And uh, if we take a quick glance at his PFF grades, um, just two years at Iowa, started both, well, didn't start, but, you know, starter snaps both years. Uh, Good year in 2021, got better in 2022. He took a jump from 70 to 80. His run defense went from a 63 to an 81. Tackling was pretty bad both years. Pass rush went from a 72 to a 74. Coverage stayed the same, although he has four coverage snaps in two years, so it doesn't matter. He had uh, 46 pressures on 271 attempts, which is about 17%. He also had nine sacks. The previous year, he was at 10% and four sacks, so significant jump as a pass rusher as well. If you want to see some of his highest graded games, check out Iowa State and Nevada. But you knew that. Let's move on to our undrafted free agents. Let's start with Keyshawn Banks, because I think he is the most unknown of the group. Kenneth Odomegwu is the, uh, I guess, sort of exchange student. I forget what the program's called, so I'm just going to call it exchange student out of Africa. Brenton Cox has got a ton of hype, so we'll save those two guys. But uh, Keyshawn Banks was an undrafted free agent for the Green Bay Packers. He's six four, 255 pounds from the San Diego State Aztecs. Spent a lot of time at San Diego State, got better pretty much every single year. Um, his grades went 50, 66, 69, 69, and then this last year was his breakout year, 78. His run defense went from a 68 to an 80, tackling from a 48 to a 51, pass rush 73 to 77. 40 pressures on 384 attempts would be 10.4% and 5 sacks. He had 5 sacks, 10 hits, 25 hurries. The other good thing about him, not only did he break out in 2022, sort of, he ended really, really strong. So his his week stretch was pretty much the first half of the season. From week 8 on, he was absolutely dominant in two of his best games were the last two games, including the bowl game, which was his best game against Middle Tennessee. 
He had a 90 overall grade, 90 run defense grade, 77 pass rush grade, seven pressures on 46 attempts, and two sacks. So, good performance. Brugler had him as the number 56 pass rusher. He didn't do a write-up, so we'll head over to what see what Tony Pauline had to say. Strengths, athletic pass rusher who makes plays all over the field. Agile, plays with terrific pad level and is rarely off his feet. Immediately alters his angle of attack. Fights with his hands and gets a lot of momentum going up the field. Slices through blocks to penetrate the line of scrimmage. And displays a closing burst. Explosive. Comes, excuse me, pop-up. Comes out of the three-point stance or stands over the tackle and gives effort. Weaknesses. Easily outpositioned from plays or blocked by a single opponent. Must develop more pass rush moves. Average run defender. Overall, Banks is a hardworking defender who does the little things well and possesses a thin build and must fill out his frame. Yet, Banks comes with upside. So a little bit more of a uh, throwback Clay Matthews type a little bit. 6'4", 250s, or lean athletic. Did not test as far as 40 time or anything, so there is no data on his speed. Usually that's for a reason. But alright, let's get into the fun stuff. So Odomegwu is is pretty impossible to give much of a highlight on. He is six foot six, two sixty, just a massive, absolute freak human being. But, you know, he plays football for Anambra State in Nigeria. And as Matt LaFleur has already made it pretty well known, the guy has a massive amount to learn. I mean, it's basically like we have to teach him how to play football. So very athletic very big very you know fits all the athletic profiles i i just i mean i think we get a special slot this year to put him in so it's not that big of a deal as far as him staying or going but him contributing i would be stunned if the guy takes a regular season snap this year i really would only other information i have is i guess he ran a 4 8 40 and had a 33 and a half inch vert that's all i got all right final guy um when I did the live stream with Clayton and Jacob yesterday, two days ago for you, Jacob asked me to watch a video of him because he's super high on him, and so I said I would. And yeah, if you go and watch a highlight of Brenton Cox, um, it definitely got me excited about the guy. The, the only way I can think to describe him is a sledgehammer. You know, I've, I've referenced it in the past. I don't exactly know how best to describe it, but guys like Rashawn have this ability. Some other guys do too. They just have so much power in their bodies. And when you watch Rashawn, there's one clip that I have just replaying in my head. Rashawn Gary caught somebody from behind. I think it was a quarterback. I don't know. But even if he's not moving super fast, when he hits you, it's like you go airborne. And I think they like went in the air and did a front flip. And it's just unbelievable, the collision. And it's surprising because if you see somebody moving really, you know, you see a safety coming flying at 19 miles an hour at a wide receiver and laying him out. That makes sense in my brain because he's moving so fast. When you see somebody like Brenton Cox, for example, who's basically stopped by a tackle, does a quick spin move and the quarterback's right there and he's still able to just knock him clean off his feet, that doesn't make sense because there's no momentum there. But I remember somebody told me one time, or, or I, I had heard it s- somewhere, that uh, Mike Tyson's punches have the force of a, I'm making this up, but it's something like a sledgehammer moving at 10 miles an hour. And my first thought was, 10 miles an hour? That's freaking slow. But it's a sledgehammer. And that's the point. He just has so much power generation in his body. I just looked it up because it seemed way too slow. Apparently, it's 16-pound sledgehammer moving at 35 miles per hour, which does seem significantly faster. But it's also the equivalent of a car crash at 50 miles an hour. Anyways, the point is there are certain people that you see where it seems like they're not really moving that fast. And when they hit somebody, they just go flying off their feet. And Brenton Cox has that. The problem is... 
I had to kind of cleanse the palate a little bit after the highlight. I didn't go watch all 22 or anything. I just went on YouTube. I searched a game. It was 2022 LSU. It was his second highest pass rush grade. It was his number one in terms of pressures. He had six pressures and a sack. So I said, all right, let's watch that one. And um, the, the problem is, much like a sledgehammer, you take a, you take a swing, you're really lacking in accuracy, and you kind of just get that one swing, you know? Like if you're trying to take somebody out, it's getting a little dark, but let's just pretend. Like if you use that as a weapon, you kind of get one swing, and if you miss, the guy's going to jack you up. You don't get a second swing. And that was Brenton Cox. He, he, he kind of had this one move. And a lot of times he tries to use power. And unlike Lucas Van Ness, you know, he, he gets inside of you or Rashawn or whatever. And he just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Brenton Cox couldn't do that. He just smashes into him real hard, maybe gains a couple feet. And then when the offensive lineman resets, he's just stuck. There is no counter. There is no plan B. And he doesn't just seem to have that raw power, at least in that one regard, to push offensive linemen straight back. There's also a ton of missed tackles. As much as in the highlight reel, it looks like if he gets a single hand on you, you're going down. He got hands on a ton of people in that game against LSU, and they slipped through, which is probably why he had a 54 run grade and a 50 tackling grade, which is about his average. It was 52.9. Most of these games, he had terrible tackling grades. But Dane Brugler had him at his, as his number 39 um, pass rusher out of Florida. Undrafted free agent is the grade that he gave him. Six foot four, two fifty, four eight two forty time. Little bit about the man. Brenton Cox Jr. grew up outside of Atlanta and originally attended Miller Grove High School. Played varsity as a sophomore tight end and defensive end. As a junior, Cox blew up on the recruiting scene and earned first team all state honors with seventy five tackles, eight tackles for a loss, eighteen sacks, receiving defensive player of the year honors in Henry County. As a senior, he led Stockbridge to an eleven and three record with forty two tackles, nine point five tackles for a loss, five sacks, and one forced fumble. He again earned first-team All-State honors. He played basketball as a sophomore. Five-star recruit. Cox was a number two strong side defensive end in the 2018 recruiting class. Number five recruit in Georgia. Lawrence and Fields were the top two. So massive name coming out of high school. He was also the number 23 recruit in the nation. Cox had no shortage of offers with all the major programs vying for his commitment. He originally uh, verbally committed to Ohio State before decommitting after his senior season. His final decision came down to Alabama and Georgia with the home state Bulldogs winning out. He was one of seven five-star recruits in Kirby Smart's 2018 class, but only lasted one season in Athens before he was dismissed from the program. Cox transferred to Florida where he spent the next three seasons, but he was dismissed from the team in October 22 by head coach Billy Napier. He graduated from Florida with a degree in education sciences. Cox accepted the invitation to the 2023 East-West Shrine Bowl. I am going to read some of the negatives. Usually I just read the summary, but it's important to know why there's this big discrepancy between this five-star recruit and um, where he ended up, you know, going or whatever. So I'm just going to read the whole thing, even though about the second half is really what most people are um, interested in. Average build and play strength can be eaten up in the run game and given up the edge. Often misreads run keys, creating open lanes for ball carriers. Can be stonewalled by tight ends, which, holy crap, that's not good. Struggles to find his balance as a tackler, especially in the backfield, and misses while misses will pile up. Yeah, he had a ton of those. Too much wasted movement in his pass rush. Needs to develop more power early and at the top of his rush. Will have a tough time wiping away a bunch of NFL blocks. Had offseason foot surgery to repair a Jones fracture in the summer of 2020-21. Was arrested along with former Georgia teammate Robert Beal on a misdemeanor charge of marijuana possession in April 2019. Character will be put under a microscope after he was dismissed from two SEC programs. 
Georgia in August of 2019, then Florida in August 2022. For a a series of team infractions, head coach Billy Napier said it's a cumulative effect. He, quote, wears you down with his antics, according to an NFL scout, and will need to adopt a more professional demeanor. Cox was allowed back for Florida Pro Day, March 2023. So a lot of people looking at it, it was just pot. Dude, it wasn't just pot. No way in the world do you get dismissed from two of the most notorious programs for having people with questionable character for smoking a little weed. Clearly, this was, as he said, a cumulative effect. Not only is he doing things he's not supposed to, but I'm sure he's doing it, refusing to stop doing it, and just having an overall bad attitude, and, as it said, not being a professional. So that's a big question in and of itself. Not only is he going to be a good enough football player, but there's also a question of, is he going to grow up and actually take this seriously and see if he can mold himself into what his ceiling is, which is actually relatively high. Here's the summary, though. Three-year starter at Florida, Cox played the Jack Edrusher position and former defensive coordinator Patrick Tony's scheme. Tony joined the Arizona Cardinals staff after the 2022 season. After a quick exit at Georgia, he grew into a key cog in the Gators' defensive attack, 32 tackles for a loss, 33 games in Gainesville. Before he was dismissed for a program midway through his senior season, Cox doesn't rush with a consistent power or fully planned out attack, but his hands and feet are quick to make it tough for blockers to counter. There's enough in assignment sound run defender. Uh, there, Though he isn't an assignment sound run defender, he has a terrific pursuit from the backside, and the gas tank is never empty. Overall, Cox has draftable and rosterable talent, but based on his history, it will take an NFL team with a large appetite for risk to invest a draft pick in the player. His energy as a pass rusher gives him a fighting chance. So I think it's pretty straightforward. If it wasn't for the disciplinary things, he would have been drafted. I think there's a question as to where, though. I don't think, based on watching him or reading what people have to say about him, that he is a day one or even day two pick. I think he's a day three pick, which is fourth round or later. Maybe he's a fourth rounder. Maybe he's sort of like a Kingsley and Igbare fifth rounder. I kind of think that that would maybe be where he would go when you look at his pedigree being a fifth round pick and all that stuff. And again, all the, the power and everything that you can see on tape. That's just my guess. I, I, I don't really know. So while it's true that he was a five-star recruit, and he only was an undrafted free agent, presumably because of his off-the-field stuff and not because of his talent. I also don't want to overhype it and act like he's, you know, like a second-round prospect that only fell because he smoked pot, and we ended up stealing because the other 32 teams didn't realize how dumb he was, and actually the Packers didn't either because they could have picked him up any time but chose not to. You know, I mean, there are serious questions about his playing ability. So I I guess the question for Brenton Cox is, I think he has the highest upside, and it makes the most sense to keep him above some of these other guys. You know, all these other undrafted free agents are never going to have the ceiling that Brenton Cox has, or seventh-round picks or whatever. They're just not. So it makes sense to keep him, develop him, and let him be your number four or five guy that you put in and be your new Jonathan Garvin, but a better version, hopefully. It makes sense. The question is, though, are they going to get a handle on this guy and realize all their fears came true and he's not even going to make it to September? Which is also entirely possible. If he's if his head isn't in the book and he's causing problems and he's you know uh, I shouldn't say causing problems, but you know he just he just doesn't seem to be a guy that is going to put in the work. I think he's going to be gone. I think he has a very short leash, especially for a team that is really trying to build um, a locker room, a roster, a culture. Short leash. So it'll be really good to hear, you know, as far as how he's doing. Listen to what the coaches have to say about him. You know, it'd be great to hear Matt LaFleur or Joe Barry or something say, yeah, he's working real hard. He's in the book. He's asking all the right questions, stuff like that. That's kind of what you're hoping for. 
if it's a lot of sort of obfuscating and just being like, yeah, you know, I mean, he's, he's got a ways to go. You know, we'll see. That's, you know, basically there's nothing good to report. So anyways, real quick, 53. In uh, 2021, we had five pass rushers. 2020, five pass rushers. 2019, four pass rushers. And this number varies at, at different times throughout the season. I'm just trying to get it, capture it as early as possible in terms of what, what, what the final result of the 53 was. And then in 2018, four pass rushers. So it was four, four, five, five. Now, let's just ask the question. If it's four, which four? It's Preston, it's Rashawn, and I know Rashawn could go on some injury designation thing, whatever, but let, let's, just, let's just look at it. It's Preston, it's Rashawn, it's Lucas Van Ness, and let's just say Justin Hollins, which means Kingsley and Igbari would not be on the team. You could try to squeeze him on the practice squad, he ain't going to make it. Or you release Justin Hollins, and uh, Kingsley is your four. The point is, I think it has to be at least five. And again, Rashawn may not be there initially, but even if it's five, Preston, Rashawn, Van Ness, Kingsley and Igbari, Justin Hollins, that seems pretty set in stone to me, which means no Garvin, no Hamilton, no... Uh, Brenton Cox, no Keyshawn Banks. Kenneth, I think, again, gets his own little spot. So if we carried six for the first time in a while, that would be why, and he would be the guy, and it would be like, oh, I can't believe you're doing it. Well, it's because you get an extra slot. And I don't remember exactly how that works, and I'm not going to look it up because it doesn't matter because I don't think Kenneth is going to really contribute all that much anyways. If it gets to that point, we'll look into it. So that becomes the problem, right? You get all this hype about, dude, what about, what about, what about? Where are they going to go? So Rashawn's out. All right, so it's Preston, it's Van Ness, it's Kingsley, it's Hollins, and it's who? It would be Brenton Cox until Rashawn Gary comes back, maybe? That's assuming Garvin is gone, Hamilton is gone, and Brenton Cox beats out Keyshawn uh, Banks, which I would expect him to, unless Brenton Cox gets let go. So this is a situation where I feel like we have more guys that the Packers want than we have spots that they want to allocate. I think if they could, they would have Smith and Rashawn and Kingsley and Van Ness and Hollins, Garvin, Hamilton, most of these guys. Maybe not Keyshawn, but they're going to have to make some cuts here. It's not a bad thing. It just means we have invested a ton in the position. It's a very important position, and it's a good thing. We'll find out who the creme de la creme is, and that's who's going to play. But I would expect a slightly higher number at the position just because of the number of people that we have. And generally, when they're building their 53s, they're trying to get the 53 best players, not necessarily just balancing out positional numbers, although there are going to have to be caps on that. But odds are the fifth, you know, edge rusher is probably going to be more important than, say, the seventh defensive tackle or something, or you know, they'll, they'll cut somewhere else. But anyways, I'll leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.